Well, if you're anything like me, you grew up listening to some incredible country music in the 80s and 90s. Well, we've got Marty Rayburn, the lead singer of Shenandoah, coming on to share the story about Shenandoah. Uh, but more importantly, the story about how God saved him uh, when he was at the peak of his career, but he was at the lowest point of his life. You're not going to want to miss this. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, super glad to have you guys. We've got a great episode today. I'm Brian Dawson, host of this here podcast, also the CEO of 1819 News, joined today by a very special guest, uh, lead singer of one of my favorite bands that I grew up on in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, we've got Marty Rabin, uh, Mr. Marty Rabin of the band Shenandoah joining us. Marty, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you having me, Brian. Thank you, buddy. Yes, Appreciate sir. It. So today uh, <clears throat> we're going to jump in and we're going to talk. Um, as you guys know, my audience knows I, I, I love story. I love to hear everyone's story. Um, you know, every time someone comes on, I, I want people to get acquainted with people. And you, you can only really do that through uh, hearing of a story. And um, Marty's got an, an, multiple incredible stories in his life. One trumps all of them. And, and it's the story of how uh, Christ radically changed his life. Uh, but also the story of um, the band Shenandoah and, and how they kind of rose to to fame and all those other things. So we're just going to um, dig in and, and talk to him uh, and hear from him about his life, where he was born and all those things. So uh, without further ado, we'll just jump right in. Marty, uh, we'd love to to just kind of, as I said, tell us um, tell us where were you born, uh, where you were born. Tell us about your parents, how that kind of influenced your life and then um, go from there. Well, uh, I was born in Sanford, Florida. Uh, I was born in uh, 1959. Uh, so I'm a child of the fifties, <laughs> <laughs> not, not much, but I made it anyway. Uh, uh, grew up in a, in a, uh, a, a home that, that, that pretty much was like everybody else's, uh, you know, uh, mom and dad, you know, had to work. And, uh, my mother, uh, she, she made uh, window covering drapes balances and stuff like that and my dad was a uh, block and bricklayer uh mm. but he was also a fiddle player as well too and uh that literally is probably where the where the love for music for me came from was from my dad uh uh you know my daddy was one of them kind of people uh i i don't reckon i don't, I don't reckon he ever met a stranger uh he was very jovial as well too uh now he was a whole lot different on the job working with him though <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he, he, he loved playing, he loved playing music and he loved playing with people. And, and I, I really honestly, do you think the, uh, the, the way to love people is, is a lot that I learned from my dad. Uh, you know, my, my dad didn't see anybody any kind of way. He just, he just seen them for what they were and who they were. And, uh, I can honestly truly say my, my dad didn't judge anybody and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful I'm more than anything. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, cause you know, I, I know that you actually can get through life without finding fault with somebody or needing to blame somebody for, for some of your own shortcomings or anything like that. My, my dad was pretty straight up, you know, uh, he tend to <laughs> drink a little bit every once in a while, uh, but he never blamed it on anybody. He just, he did what he did. He was a great provider. And, and, uh, so was my mother, like I said, she worked as well too. 
and uh, she uh, she she was a, a really hard working woman. I, you know, I mean, you know, there was five of us. I was third in the family of five. Uh, so I'm not really the middle kid. I, I was just born third in, in the five of us. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, we just, uh, we grew up, you know, uh, listening to music and loving music and, and going to church, Sunday school, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, like I said, had, had two hardworking parents, uh, that somewhere down the line, uh, didn't seem like they could live together anymore. And, uh, when I was six, my mom and dad divorced mm. and, uh, still to this day, I, I don't know why my dad never said why my mother never did either. And, uh, and then, uh, and 14 years later, they remarried. Oh, wow. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I'll never forget when, when my mother told me that, uh, daddy and her was going to get married again. She, she said, now look, now, I know you're talking about going to Nashville, but are you, you planning on, you, you plan on coming to the wedding? I said, well, I said, Mom, I really wasn't invited to the first one, so I don't know what I'm going to show for the second or not. Uh, but no, I, I did, and I, I was extremely happy about that. And, wow. And uh, both of them lived together. And, and you know, they always loved each other. Uh, I don't know whether maybe it was a money thing or, uh, you know, having five kids trying to make it through life. I, I don't really know what it was. Uh, like I said, they, they never told us, and, and, and neither one of them ever spoke, spoke ugly of the other. And, you know, that's... That's a rarity. You, you don't even find that today. Yeah. You know, uh, even after somebody's asked you to keep it hush, that, that, that goes about as, as long as what you did by asking. Yeah. You know, when you ask somebody not to, that's about as long as it took. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I'll tell you one thing about, uh, about our musical, uh, growth. Uh, I had two brothers that, that my dad taught them how to sing harmony parts. Cause I was in a third grade talent show in, in, uh, at, at Brookview Elementary School in Jacksonville, Florida. This is after mom and daddy had separated and divorced. And, and, uh, so therefore I was in a, I was eight years old in a third grade talent show. And, and, uh, my mother had bought me a pair of black slacks and a white shirt and a, uh, <laughs> and one of them pop on bow ties that literally was cutting the circulation off at my neck. I, <laughs> I couldn't hardly breathe, but nonetheless, uh, uh, one of the women that, that were helped coordinating the talent came around there to get us. And, uh, my mother looked at me when we started, uh, when me and the lady started walking toward the stage, she goes, my mother did. Uh, and, and as only a mother would know, don't, don't take that towel. And, uh, she didn't know how bad I wanted to, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I tell you the truth. I wasn't nervous. I, uh, I'd sing the, the Johnny Horton classic, the battle of new Orleans that my dad had taught me, uh, probably a few years before that. So therefore I knew every one of the words and man, I even put the hup two, three, fours in there. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so, uh, I got up there and I started singing and, and, uh, uh, you know, something that night happened. Look, I, I didn't hear voices and, uh, didn't hear any sirens, nothing like that. I mean, I just, uh, something came over me, uh, while I was singing that I was going to do this for the rest of my life. Wow. And, uh, and my mother, now the one thing about my mother was, is, uh, mother was always loving. And, and, and I'm telling you, she was, she was, she was as loving as could be, but she, she, she had kind of a, a backwards curveball of ever, ever giving you a compliment. She <laughs> would mean the compliment, but you know, the way she would say it at times, it was a little, okay. 
anyway, I told her on the way home that night, I said, Mama, uh, I said, I, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. She said, well, well good, son. I said, I'm going to sing to people. That's, that, that's what I'm going to do. And she said, well, you sure did look good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as far as she took it. So, uh, but anyway, I, and that's, that's really honest. Truly how it started. So therefore, uh, with me singing, then my, my dad taught my, my brothers, the harmony parts. And, and then, then we started playing music together. My, my younger brother started playing the bull, uh, bass fiddle, bull fiddle, whatever they call it, uh, the upright bass. And then my brother Rick started playing guitar, uh, uh, lead guitar, and uh, and I played rhythm guitar. And then my dad played fiddle. And then uh, later on, as uh, life went on and music continued, uh, uh, we got a, a old boy out of Lakeland, Florida, that played five string banjo with us. And we had w- what was known as a as a bluegrass band. And Lord, we did that for years and years and years in Florida. And then in 1984. Uh, Right after my mom and dad's uh, wedding, I, I left for Nashville, Tennessee, wow. and uh, had had stayed up there for about nine months, and was on my last can of corn. And and uh, an old boy by the name of Mike McGuire that I had known through his brother Bud McGuire, uh, Bud McGuire, and I were living together in Nashville. He he and I were writing for a fellow by the name of Larry Butler, and Larry Butler had a had a publishing company and. And uh, of course, I was writing songs even before I left Florida. And uh, then, as it went on, uh, Bud said, "Man, look, you know, in this band you're playing with, you know, y'all work sometimes. Sometimes you don't. Man, what you need is a steady draw, you know, from a publisher. You know, and that way, you know, you can you can pay your bills." He was worried about me not paying my half of the rent, I reckon. <laughs> but anyway, he uh, he got me on his. Uh, as a writer for Larry Butler and, and, uh, Bud and I continued to write songs and other folks in the publishing house did and other people that I would write with outside the publishing house. And there's a few times when we go down to muscle shows and I, I, I would write with Mike, uh, which is currently the drummer and has been since the, the beginning of the group Shenandoah. Uh, Mike was a songwriter as well. Well, still is. Uh, anyway, so uh, we started writing a little bit together. And then one day he called me, the band that I was playing with was called Heartbreak Mountain. And uh, we were in Evansville, Indiana. And it was one of those couple of weeks that we could work because we, you know, found a club gig. So anyway, so Donnie had called, I mean, uh, uh, Mike had called me and I was working with Donnie Allen, which works with us now. He, uh, he's our uh, side guy that he plays fiddle, and electric guitar and acoustic guitar. And uh, anyway, Donnie Allen's been with us, Shucks, ever since about near the beginning. Anyway, so uh, Mike had called and said, look, so many, are you interested in a steady job here in Muscle Shoals? And I said, well, uh, how steady is it? And he said, man, it's every week. And he said, look, the pay's not great, but it's steady. He said, that's better than what you're doing now. And I said, well, that's probably the truth, but I still would like to know what I was going to get. So he told me, and it was $300 a week. And uh, and I said, man, I'll take it. Man, I jumped all over that. Hmm. And uh Anyway, so I, I moved to Muscle Shoals, Alabama in, uh, in September of 85. And uh, I've literally been here ever since. And then I, I met this uh, pretty little old gal that, that, uh, that lived in the apartment complex. When uh, Mike called me about the gig, he said, look, he said, man, my, my roommate's fixing to move out. Uh, she's fixing to get married. Uh, so, man, I, I got a bedroom open. Me and you'll split the rent just like you've been doing with Bud. 
man, come on in here and live with me until you get yourself on your feet. Or if you want another place, whatever, you're welcome here as long as you want to stay. Uh, said, man, you, you just come on down, you know, and, and you got a place to live and a place to play, a place to earn money. And uh, anyway, so that, that was one of the things, of course, as well, that made it attractive for me to do it. And uh, anyway, so I seen this gal coming in the parking lot usually every day about, you know, lunchtime. And I asked him one day, I said, man, do you know who that gal is? And he said, yeah, it's a gal named Melanie. I said, okay, do you know what her name? Melanie what? I said, Melanie Woods. I said, okay. So the, the, by this time, you know, the weather had started getting cool. And, and uh, so I'd worked up enough nerve uh, one cold November day toward the end of the month. It was for Thanksgiving, but toward the end of the month. I seen her drive up and, and I went out there on the back. And I said, hey, I said, uh, you like chili? She goes, what? I said, do you like chili? She goes, uh, well, only with the grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> I said, look, I said, uh, did you, I said, you're on your lunch break, right? She goes, yeah, I am. I said, well, look, uh, I said, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. I promise you I'm not a weirdo. I said, I play at the club. She goes, yeah, I, I, I know you do. I said, okay, well, I'm not a weirdo. I promise. <laughs> I said, if I make a, a homemade, uh, bo uh, pot of chili tomorrow, and make you a grilled cheese sandwich. You want to come over for lunch and eat? She goes, well, I said, come on. I, I, I promise you, if you don't like the chili, you can get up and leave. We hit it off and, and we've been together ever since. Wow. And that's incredible. <clears throat> the chili pickup line. It's going to have to be used in the future. <laughs> so about, yeah, about, it, about, it works. <laughs> it works. So about how old were you when you moved to, you said you moved to Muscle Shoals. About what year was that? How old were you? I was either 25 or 26. Okay. You know, the way my birthday falls, uh, I was either 25 or 26. Okay. Uh, but I moved to Muscle Shoals in September of 85. Okay. September of 85. So, there you go. I was, uh, I was not even one years old yet. I'm, I'm October of 84 is when yeah. I was born. So. <laughs> and, and, and Brian, you know, we hear that from everybody. Yeah. Everybody tells us at the show. Man, I've listened to y'all all my life. You know, I, man, I grew up. My my mom and dad be driving in the car, I'd be listening to y'all on the radio. Yeah, and and it's like they're fourteen years old. You go, what? <laughs> you know, and then you, then then it really starts hurting when they're when they're like twenty five and twenty six. You know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, look, it's you know we've had a good run as the group, Shannon. Though we had uh, we started in that club that I'd mentioned a while ago that. Uh, uh, that we were playing in where Mike played drums and Jim Seals played the guitar. Uh, Stan Thorne played the keyboards. Ralphie Zell played the bass. And I played the rhythm guitar and sang lead. And, and uh, we worked uh, four nights a week. And, and uh, uh, I, I'll have to say, we, we, man, we had a good little old band. We really did. Uh, had a, and what I mean by that is we had a really good club band. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, we, we did it. We did everything from Huey Lewis to, uh, to the Rolling Stones, you know, uh, the Commodores, uh, to Randy Travis. I mean, we, we just, we did top 40 of both, yeah. you know, and then we'd reach back and get a, when a man loves a woman and that yeah. kind of stuff. Some of that, uh, that, uh, that late 60 stuff that Percy Sledge did and, uh, you know, uh, Wilson Pickett, notice Redding. You know, Pope Salad, uh, not Pope Salad, but Mustang Sally, and uh, you know, you know, we just we kind of stayed up on all of it, and that's that's really kind of where all of us were at. And then all of a sudden, uh, 
a couple of songwriters, uh, Robert Byrne and, and uh, Tommy Brassfield, had come down. Uh, Mike had, uh, had seen him at the studio that day at Fame. That's who Mike wrote for. He wrote for Fame, for Rick Hall. And uh, anyway, so, uh, well, I hear my riots here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, he, he had wrote uh, he wrote for Rick, and, and uh, Robert Byrne did as well, too, and so did Tommy Brassfield. And, uh, they were down at the studio that day when Mike said, hey, you know, we're playing the club tonight. Man, we do a lot of y'all's tunes. Uh, why don't y'all come down here? So that night they showed up. It was a Thursday evening. And uh, before it was all over with, they, you know, said, look, said, man, uh, y'all come sit down with us at the table. You know, we want to talk to you about something. Anyway, so we did. And, and uh, we sit there and listened to them tell us that they had a production deal uh, with, with Columbia Records, CBS, and uh, wanted to know if we wanted to cut some records. And, uh, of course, look, I moved to Nashville to cut records. That, that's why I left Florida. That's the reason why I left my folks. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to go up there and, and, and make some records. I, I wanted to be a recording artist. And a couple of guys in the band said, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. And I said, man, I do. And I uh, said, well, man, fine. And they said, no, look, we, you know, we're actually looking for a band. And I said, well, I'm in, whatever. You know, and, and then Fort Zola, we, we had two or three other meetings. And uh, in the interim of time, unfortunately, Tommy Brassfield had passed away. So therefore, it left us uh, uh, with Robert Byrne. And then Robert said, look, said, man, let's get Rick Hall involved. Uh, he's the one that has to deal with CBS anyway. And anytime we ever need somebody to lean heavy on somebody, we, we get Rick to do it. It'll carry a whole lot more weight. So. Uh, we did. We got Rick involved, and uh, and then from that point on, uh, we went to the studio. And, and uh, uh, well, let me say this: uh, it was '86, and then uh, we were in the studio, uh, the bottom part of of uh, let's see, we were in uh, November, December, uh, in '86, and uh, and then uh, when '87 rolled around, we finished the project up, and they carried it. Uh, to Nashville, to Columbia, and they took us, uh, us and a group called the Shooters. And uh, anyway, so, uh, and, and where that where that heavy hand of Rick Hall really worked, and I'm speaking about the legendary Rick Hall there at Fame Recording Studio. In fact, uh, uh, the movie Muscle Shoals, mm. uh, if, you, if you've ever seen that movie, that's, that's who I'm talking about is Rick Hall. And uh, he, he is and was Muscle Shoals, still is. Yeah. Uh, I loved him. I, I thought the world of Rick, uh, he was a cantankerous old rascal, but I loved him, you know, cause he, he only aggravated you cause he wanted it right. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody's got a Rick Hall story and, uh, they'll usually tell you about how he was about things and, and how aggravating he could be, but look, he, he just wanted it right. And if it took you several times to do it, to get it right or to get it like he thought it should be, then you just did it. And, uh, and I, I didn't have a problem with that. I, I wanted to learn. So therefore that was a plus for me. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, we came out, our, our first record was a tune, uh, that anchored at, uh, 58, uh, 54. It was a tune called, uh, uh, they don't make love like we used to. And, uh, it's a terrible song. <laughs> uh, and we didn't want to cut it. We we didn't want to cut it, honest and truly, we didn't, and, and we kept telling Rick, "Man, this sounds like Roy Orbison." And that he said, "Well, yeah, that's, that's who it ought to sound like. That's a Roy Orbison sounding song." Said Rick, "That's not what we do." 
you know. And so anyway, so well, how do you know what you do? You ain't got a record that's worked yet. I said, well, we we know we're not doing this, <laughs> you know. So anyway, so we went ahead and cut it, and then we cut another tune that we we kind of felt like would work, and it was a tune called "Stop the Rain," and I think it went to thirty eight, uh, uh, and and just barely made it to the top forty for a week, and then it then it fell out of the way. And then we came with a tune called She Doesn't Cry Anymore that Will Robbins and, and Robert Byrne had written. And uh, we did that. And, and uh, 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 next thing you know, we uh, wound up with a top 10 record at it, went to number nine. Uh, and then we came with a tune called Mama Knows that went to number four. And then we came with a tune called uh, Church on Cumberland Road that uh, mm, yep. went to number one and was there for two weeks in a row. And that was the first time that, uh, that a self-contained act of, of any kind that they'd ever had their first number one record. Wow. Stay uh, number one at two weeks in a row. Yeah. Now you're getting into when I was, I was listening. So, um, when yeah. I, uh, then, then we came with uh Sunday in the South. And, yep. That's my favorite. And, uh, two dozen roses and see if I care. Then next to you, next to me and ghost in this house. And uh, I got you. And, and anyway. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, we play Sundays in the South at least two or three times a week. My kids, I've got a bunch of kids. We're about to have our seventh. And uh, all my kids love dancing. Oh, to wow. That, yeah, dancing to that old 90s country music. Because uh, in my opinion, uh, country music died around 2003. Um, you know, at least it, the produced what's out there on the radio country music died about roughly 2003. Uh, you know, everybody has their different opinions. So, I go back. I go back to the '80s and '90s and early 2000s to to, to find the country music I want to get my kids marinating in. Yeah, I hear you. And I, you know, to, to me that was uh, that. You know that 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 was a great time to be in country music. Country music literally at that time was at its highest. Yeah. You know, as far as the the pie chart, uh, as far as any genre of music, you know, uh, Nashville or country music. You know, it held about 78% of that pie chart, you know, between the rock and roll, the pop, the gospel, you know, we held about 78% of that country music did. I mean, it was a, it was a great time to be in country music, you know, with acts like Russell's Hard, of course, Alabama, and, uh, Reba McIntyre, and, you know, just, you know, Vern Gosson and Merle Haggard, George Jones, and, you know, Gene Watson, you know, man, just, just some great, great country music. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, tell me um, now, tell us um, kind of what happened. Uh, you rise to fame. That's probably a lot for anybody to to become famous that quickly and kind of the effect that it had on you and really, I guess, I guess transition a little bit more of your testimony and, and, and how God used this, all this to, to bring you to him. Well, you know, we had, uh, we'd been working the road quite a bit. We went out on the, uh, at the time was a, was a, a largest grossing tour that had ever been in country music. It was us and Randy Travis and Nanny. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's, that's quite a high when you, uh, when you stay and you listen to 12 and 14,000 people. Yeah. Your name. And we were tickets would go on sale and they'd sell just like that. And then they started putting in matinee shows because the ticket sales were so good. And so many people were complaining they didn't get a ticket. Then we, then we'd add like a, a Saturday or a Sunday show uh, in the afternoon before the show that evening. And, uh, man, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. For one thing, Randy Travis, 
Man, he's a, he's a peach of a guy. Yeah. I mean, he really is. I mean, he, he was just a prince. And uh, uh, him and his whole team had had, uh, had put us put us up there, and, and we started doing that and, and started seeing the success. And, of course, as, it's, uh, as the success grew, you know, everything else in the world, you know, that, that you got in a bad nature about yourself will come out. Yeah. You know? uh, and it's not that you're independent or you feel independent or you're above anybody or whatever, you know, uh, I'd always had a tendency to drink, I guess, you know, maybe I got that from my dad. I, I don't know. Uh, but I drank, but you know, during that time I was drinking a whole lot more and, and, uh, and drinking more and, and, uh, before it was all over with, I, uh, I'd, I'd come in from a run in, in Texas. Uh, this, this was in, in the first part of 91 and, uh, the Travis tour was over and, and, uh, Anyway, so uh, a buddy of mine, there's a private club that we used to work here in the Shoals area, just down the way. It was a place called the Lamp Fighter. And uh, anyway, uh, this buddy of mine, he managed it and loved to play guitar. That man loved to have a guitar pool. And so uh, one Sunday afternoon, he called me after we'd come in off the road. We'd been we'd been down to tech, excuse me, down to Texas for a couple of weeks, and uh, and then asked me, said. Uh, uh, man, how, how long you in for? I said, well, we, you know, we leave, we leave out again here at the end of the week. And, uh, he said, man, I got a guitar pool going on down here and all you can drink. If you want to come on down here. And, uh, I said, okay. So, uh, man, I went on down there and, and, uh, this will go to show you a little bit of the selfishness that I was carrying as well too. And, and still, uh, have a great deal of that as well too. And I'd give anything in the world to, to shun more of it than I have. And, and I'm not done with that yet. I, I still got a long way to go, but I understand. Uh, anyway, uh, and I, I didn't realize that I'd been, been down there for four days, but, uh, uh you know, when I got down there, uh, of course, you know, they was, like you said, there was plenty to drink. And of course we picked music, played music and stuff like that. And I mean, we did, I mean, we were wearing it out and, uh, and there were several other fellows that played a banjo player came in and, bass player and, and man we just started hitting some of them old bluegrass numbers too and anyway so uh somebody pulled out some cocaine said man look if you're fading man hit some of this so i i did that as well too and little did i know you know i woke up on my couch four days later and uh not realizing i'd been gone four days don't even know how i got home i, I mean i really don't uh i have no idea in the world how i got home anyway uh i woke up on the couch i knew good and well i didn't feel good but the sad reality of it was, is that my baby boy was six days old, mm. but that, that was where my selfishness was. And, uh, anyway, uh, I, 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 the, the more and more I kept drinking, the more and more I was running from God. And I knew the spirit of God was on me and I knew the spirit of God was chasing me. Mm. I, I, I mean, I was under so much conviction. Uh, anyway, so I, I, uh, I thought, well, you know, look, man, I, I'll just drink a little bit more. And heck with it. You know, I'll, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And the reason why I was a captain of my own ship, the captain of my own destiny, I, I didn't, uh, man, I didn't want anything to change. But, you know, man, it, man, if I, man, if I get saved and stuff like that, man, I can't tell filthy jokes. I, you know, I, man, I can't drink. I, I can't run with the buddies that I've got. I mean, I, man, I like doing what I'm doing. And then, uh, when I woke up that morning, uh, man, I, I had a hangover or whatever you want to call it. 
I had a hangover that, that probably was literally was the worst that I'd ever had. I mean, that, I mean, it, it was bad. I, I'd never felt that bad. And, uh, you know, it, it hadn't been too long before then that my buddy Keith Whitley had died from alcohol poisoning. Mm. And, uh, so therefore I, I knew that dying over that stuff was real anyway. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, I went down to the basement when I got down to the basement, I, uh, I, you know, I, my wife, anytime my wife would ever find liquor or beer that I had, you know, she'd pour it out. So I had to hide that stuff. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so I'd, uh, had some beer hit out on a concrete floor. Now, now this is in March. In fact, it was March the 15th, 1991. And, and uh, anyway, so I, I had, uh, had that, uh, that beer in a case. Uh, so I slid them paint cans out of the way and I reached in and I grabbed me a couple of cans of that beer and I popped the top on one of them. And all the way down the stairs as I was going to the basement, I kept saying to myself, man, I feel like I'm going to die. Man, I ain't never felt this bad before. And I literally had to hold on to the wall because uh, I was so woozy headed. That, that man, every time my heart would beat, I'd see black blotches in front of my eyes. Oof. And there's no telling what my blood pressure was. I know my heart was pounding so hard. I, I literally could hear it in my breath. I could hear my heart beat. And uh, anyway, so I sat down on a milking stool and I, like I said, I'd pop the top on that can of beer. And I, I had the audacity to ask myself if I, if I did die, would I go to heaven? And I thought, man, Ain't that something to ask? You know, I mean, that's what I thought, man. Ain't that something to ask? But see, I'd been under conviction for so long. Uh, I, I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that this is as far as I was going to go. And, uh, and I, I just cried out to God and I said, Lord, I, I, I I'm a wreck. I, you know, I just, just terrible Lord God. And I, I die, I'm going to go to hell. And Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I really don't. Lord God, I, I believe in you. And you know, and I, I've always believed in the Lord. Always have. I mean, when I was little, you know, mom and daddy told me, you know, you, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know. I mean, I even sang it. Look, I always believed that there was a God. I, I always believed that there was a Jesus. Uh, I, I even believed in the Holy Spirit. And of course, it scared me. I was more into Casper the Friendly Ghost. But uh, anyway, I, I, uh, uh, had, you know, and it, and it wasn't, you know, just that I'd, I'd heard these things or were taught these things. I mean, I, I, I genuinely believed that there, there was a God and, uh, and I, and I reckon that's, that's the reason why he literally had saved my wretched soul, you know, uh, because he, he did know that I believed in him, you know, and enough that, that I cried out to him that I, I didn't want to go to hell, mm. you know. You know, if you ever ask anybody, uh, and while I witness to people, so many times I've heard, you know, when I ask, you know, would you, would you want to go to heaven or would you want to go to hell? And, and tell me, well, I, I don't really know where you go. I said, well, I mean, if you had the difference between heaven and hell, uh, where would you, well, I, I reckon I'd rather go to heaven. So in other words, they believe in hell enough to be bad enough that you wouldn't want to go there. Yeah. You know? So therefore, you know, there, there's enough about hell that people do understand. And it's not the hell on earth that people always tell you about, you know, uh, what, what my trouble was is, it, and it, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, necessarily that, that I didn't want to go to hell. I, I, you know, I just knew good and well that, you know, that 
that nothing about my life was working. And, you know, look, you know, you, you could you could say, well, man, what in the world do you mean? Y'all coming on five number one records. You're selling to, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12,000 seat halls. Uh, you're riding up down the road in buses and tractor, trailer, truck. What in the world could be any better for anybody in life? You, you know, you wanted to make it. You made it. Yeah. But I was as miserable as I could be. And, you know, and I, I'd heard uh, from from a couple of uncles that I had that, that truly, dearly loved God. And, uh, I mean, even as a boy, I remember, you know, they'd say, you know, there's a there's a stillness about the Holy Spirit of God. That, that, that when you have it and you possess it and he possesses you, that he has a hold of you and he won't let you go. Mm. Well, see, I'd never felt the Lord hold me, nor had, had I ever reached out for him, even in the times that I know before that his spirit did, you know, and I just didn't take it. And I, and I guess that's probably the reason why uh, my dad saying, you know, when this started making sense to me, when my dad said that the spirit of God won't always strive with man, I guess that's when it started scaring me that, you know, maybe, maybe I've gone too far, Yeah. but you know, you're never too far. I don't care who you are or what you are, where you come from, what you do for a living or whatever, or what you've done in the past. It doesn't make any difference. God literally is willing to save from the guttermost to the uttermost and he'll come get you no matter where you are. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's what he does. I mean, that's, that's why literally his son, Christ Jesus went to the cross so that we could have life eternal in him through the sacrifice. Look, that you don't have to sacrifice anything. that's already been done, but you do have to live life a godly way. Yeah. You know, you can't say, well, man, I'm saved and that's it. So glory to God. That's, you know, I, I trust in my, my uh, salvation because I, I, I said the prayer, I signed a card. I belong to a church. Look, that, that won't no more save you than anything else will, you know. Uh, what saves you is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and having one to the point that even your communion with him, you, you never have to say a word. Mm. It's just what, it's what your mind and your heart's on. Yeah. That's interesting, you know, <clears throat> I, I love what you're saying because, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And right. And so if, if we love and we have a relationship, that means that our life isn't, it's not going to be perfect, but it's at least going to be going a certain direction, right? Trying, trying our hardest yeah. to follow him because we love him and, and are living in light of what he did for us. So that's, yeah. Well, right. see, well, look, I, I believe once saved, always saved. I believe that wholeheartedly, but, but you better be saved. Yep. You, you had better be saved. And, and you know what, if you've been saved, your life's going to, it'll exude that. Yeah. I mean, people will have to wonder, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe that guy, I don't know what he's saved or not. If you're saved and you truly love God, it, it, there won't be no mystery about that. Yeah. Amen. Well, Marty, thank you so much. Um, it was really important uh, for me uh, to get you on here to, to I, I'd read your story. Uh, I wanted to get you on to talk about Shenandoah no matter what. And then I read your story and I, you know, knew, knew that we had to, and I'm so glad um, that you took the time uh, in the middle of being on tour and all the things you had going on uh, to come spend time with us and share your story. Well, and i um, very grateful. Well, brother, I, Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me, let me get on and, and uh, really honest and truly talk about the Lord more than anything. Cause I, you know, look, the Shenandoah thing's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, that morning in that basement, I realized that uh, all the accolades, you know, the vocal group of the year, the, 
the, the plat the golden platinum albums and the awards and all that stuff you know uh not that i ever made a god out of any of them but the god that i serve made the things that those things are made out of mm. so you know it's kind of like what it says over in first corinthians one where it says they worshiped and served the created things yeah more than the creator Amen. and uh uh and there's there's another there in, in Corinthians that I love for the message of the cross is foolishness yep. to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. And it certainly is. Well, Marty, thank you so much again uh, for sharing your time uh, with us. I know you got a lot going on, as I said, with you being on tour and everything. So we're super grateful. Incredible story. Uh, you guys have an incredible band, but we serve an incredible Savior. And I think that's uh, that's the most important, as you said. Um, and it's really important to us at 1819 News. Uh, to make sure that that is laced into everything that we're doing. Uh, Christ is King, and, and that is um, the utmost importance to us. So we're, we're grateful that you came on, uh, shared your story, uh, your story, uh, how God rescued you, and what was to you your darkest moment. Um, and to a lot of people, they would think it was the highest moment. So really incredible. Uh, we're really grateful. Um, and thank you guys uh, to my audience for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. And as always, put your trust in God keep your powder dry.